Welcome to Reading the Book of Mormon with Ryan. Today we have a very lovely guest, Carrie Spencer. Hello. You can lean forward. You're lean a little forward. far away. Get coming close. Let's get cuddly. Okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. A little bit closer. Closer. Or move the microphone a little towards you. Okay. I'm not cutting this out, by the way. Because You're gonna just put it on there. Uh huh. It adds character. It builds character because it sounded like a formulaic intro, and I'm like, oh, this is not formulaic. No. Um, There's so a pumpkin on this table. There is a festive gourd. There is. But uh, this is coming out the week of Christmas, so Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Happy Christmas. Time. Um, so, you're Carrie Spencer. Where do you find yourself on the LGBTQAI scale? So, I identify as queer. Okay. I'm in a relationship with a woman. Oh, you jumped ahead. That's not my, that's not my It's kind way. of part of how I identify on the LGBTQIA scale, though. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I can respect that. Um, where do you find yourself on the Mormon active, semi-active, inactive, post-Mormon, ex-Mormon, non-Mormon scale? I would probably say post-Mormon. Okay. I've never gone through the process of having my records removed, mostly because I feel like that's a whole lot of emotional labor that they don't get to make me do for them. If they want to get rid of me, that's on them. So I don't go to church anymore. I'm not part of the institutional Church Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, and I'm not a practicing Mormon by those rules. Cool. And did you go on a mission? I did not. You did not. I got married. And you have two lovely kids. I do. Actually, I saw one of them today when I ran into her. She was like, I don't think I've ever met you before. And I'm like, in fact, you have. In fact, you have. And uh, More than once. No, actually. Oh, just the once. Because last year, you and... Is, is she your fiancé or are you in a relationship? She's my fiance. Okay, okay, okay. I wanted to. Sorry, I'm gonna keep that in too. Um, but um, she last year y'all were at affirmation conference and y'all were running around like everywhere that I didn't even get to see you. I ran into Steve, but I didn't get to see you or your kids because y'all were just running around everywhere. I mean, we run. I mean, it is what it is. And then the last question is, which I think we've already established, is. What is your relationship status? Right. I'm engaged. You're engaged. To Heather, and she's lovely. Yes. Actually, we've invited Heather to be on the podcast to do her own episode, and she's pondering on it. She's pondering. She's not Mormon. She's not. I don't think she's ever read a single word of Mormon scripture, so she finds it vaguely terrifying. But she does have lovely, you know, comments about Mormonism through her Twitter. Am I allowed to swear? On this, um, generally... If it seems authentic, I'd say yes, but... I mean, there's a lot of authentic swearing in my life. Then I would say yes. If it's authentic, then yes. I mean, because, yeah, Heather's approach to a lot of Mormon stuff is, what the hell is happening here? This is bullshit. So that is something that happens. So that could be fun if you want her to do that. She could read it and be like, I, this is crazy. But I think a lot of people would be like, this is crazy. To be fair, Yes. Um, but I am active and I go to church. Do you? Yeah. Oh girl. Oh girl. Oh honey. So many stories. So many stories. But, um, we're going to be doing first Nephi chapter five this episode. And if you already know the material, feel free to skip ahead about three minutes into the podcast. 
um, uh, Carrie and I are going to read it now. But if not, go ahead and skip through. Are we just going to alternate verses? Yeah, we can do that. I'll do the odd ones. You could do the even ones. Perfect. Ladies first. All right. This is First Nephi. It's going to be hard to not stop and comment because I'm going to have thoughts, but I'll try to hold on to them. Um, first Nephi chapter five. And it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto our father, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother, Sariah, was exceedingly glad for she truly had mourned because of us. For behold, well, for she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness, and she also had a, uh, complained against my father, telling him that he was a visionary man, saying, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance by the sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. And after this manner of language had my mother complained against my father. And it had come to pass that my father spake unto her, saying, I know that I am a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should have known the goodness of God, but had tarried at Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. But behold, I have obtained a land of promise in which things I do rejoice. Yea, and I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. And after this manner of language did my father Lehi comfort my mother Sariah concerning us while we journeyed in the wilderness unto the land, wait, wilderness up to the land of Jerusalem to obtain the record of the Jews. And when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. And she spake, unto, she spake, saying, Now I know that the surety of the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons, delivered them out of the hands of Laban, given them power whereby they could accomplish the things which the Lord hath commanded them. And, af, af, ooh, and after this manner of language did she spake. And it came to pass that they did rejoice exceedingly, and did offer sacrifice and burnt offerings unto the Lord, and they gave thanks unto the God of Israel. And after they had given thanks unto the God of Israel, my father Lehi took the records which were engraved into the plates of brass, and he did search them from the beginning. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses, which gave an account of the creation of the world, and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents. And also a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down to the com com commencement. commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. And also the prophecies of the holy prophet from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And it came to pass that my father Lehi also found unto the plate of brass a genealogy of his father, wherefore he knew that he was a descendant of Joseph, yea, that Joseph was the son of Jacob, and Jacob, who was old into Egypt and was perversed by the hand of the Lord, that he might pre preserve the father, his father Jacob and all the house from perishing with famine. And they were also led out of captivity and out of the land of Egypt by that same God who had preserved them. 
And thus my father Lehi did discover the genealogy of his father, and Laban also was a descendant of Joseph, wherefore he and his fathers had kept the records. And now when my father saw these things, he was filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy concerning his seed. That the plates of brass should go forth unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people who were of his seed. Wherefore he said that these plates of brass should never perish, neither should they be dimmed any more by time. And he prophesied many things concerning his seed. And it came to pass that thus far I... I and my father had kept the commandments, wherefore the Lord had commanded us. And we had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us, and searched them, and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Wherefore it was the wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness toward the land of promise. Now, what are your thoughts i have a lot of thoughts ryan please share please share i think there's a lot to unpack here there's about a lot the... to unpack here first i think i should explain my entire approach to the book of mormon that's fine go ahead um it's actually not much different than it was when i was a practicing mormon um even when i was what's the acronym I think someone's at the front door. Somebody's at the front door. I think it's probably the tutor. Steve. Someone's at the front door. Will you? That's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, you can leave all this in there if you want. We're sitting at my kitchen table and drama happens in my house quite frequently. I have two teenagers. Oh, I would assume that you know nothing of trial in your life because of teenagers. (laughs) I mean... There's that. So, teenagers. Yeah, that's a whole... We can get into that momentarily. So I would say my first approach to the Book of Mormon, and this is what I had um, when I was a practicing Mormon, too. Um, I am a fiction writer. I'm a writer, in general. And so I do a lot of creative writing. I do creative nonfiction, and I've done some fiction. And... I have always been somebody that has found truth to be more eloquently told in fiction. And so even when I was a practicing Mormon, I always approached the Book of Mormon as a piece of fiction. And I didn't necessarily matter to me, like truth claims didn't matter to me, literal interpretation didn't matter to me, whether or not this actually happened in South America didn't matter to me. None of those things were important to me. I think that the more I look at the Book of Mormon, I look at the, like, kind of like, the human interaction between Mm -hmm. people, and what does that teach? Like, does it really matter if they really, and I think that I'm starting to get there, Mm -hmm. but like, to me, like, the things about Soraya, and like, being upset like that's a real human experience and then like the idea of having a barbecue to celebrate someone coming home that's a real human idea like they called it giving offerings i called it a barbecue they had a barbecue yeah and i think there's a lot of point of view things that are going on in a text like this so you've got this text which is written by nephi 
And he's an old dude when he's writing it. He's not like a young dude. He's like looking back and he's like, oh yeah, when I was a teenager, I was such a faithful teenager and I did all these amazing things. I mean, let's be honest about Nephi. He kind of is annoying and self-righteous and really got on my nerves all of the time. And I really didn't ever blame his brothers for beating him up because I felt like he had it coming. But he's the narrator and it's his version of reality. And he's not some crazy perfect human because that doesn't exist and so we're getting a very skewed picture of what is happening like what is happening is all through his lens and all through like not just his lens but his like i'm so righteous and awesome lens and that's going to color the way that he interprets everything also he's a dude in an extremely patriarchal society so his mother's gonna have a completely reasonable human reaction and he's gonna be like oh you have little faith yes you hysterical woman who is nothing like it's also, the way he talks about his brothers, um, I also, like, in previous chapters, we've talked about how Laban and Lemuel kind of have been, like, the unjustified bad guys of the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. up to this point. Like, later on, I mean, like, I think it's justified that they're the bad guys. I don't I, know. Have you read Medi's book, Book of Laban? No. Or is it Book of Laban? I'm going to have to Google that right now. Do it. And then we will probably put that in the show notes about how people can also look up this book. But I feel like up to this point, I feel like you really get Nephi's like, like example of, and I wonder if he knows he's being self-righteous or if that's just like the way he feels and, and through Joseph Smith translating it, that mm-hmm. this is how it comes out. Like, cause it's, you remember, so it's Joseph, so it's Nephi writes it, from the point of view of looking at his family, mm-hmm. Joseph Smith translated it using a Victorian language mm-hmm. so that we have it now. And how does that... And then now we're looking at it through a 21st century kind of like vi- gaze of at it. And it's like, so how are we interpreting this? So there's all those fun layers. There's a lot of layers. And I like for me, I, I always got tripped up on the truth claims because I just didn't care about them the way that I was supposed to care about them. Like, there's a lot of ex-Mormons that just care about the truth claim. Like, this couldn't have possibly happened. Or clearly the Book of Mormon is an, eight, is an 19th century text. It's like, well, of course it's a 19th century text. That's like when he sat and wrote it down. Like, that, uh, those truth claims never necessarily bothered me so much and that's why I mentioned that I have always interpreted this book as a, as a piece of fiction because in a piece of fiction you have a whole lot more room to explore very complicated nuanced strange things in a more profound way than if it has to be literally 100% true all of the time like you just get like down weird rabbit holes if that's the case and also I feel like even if we're going to say oh, it's, it's literal as truth this happened it's still told from Nephi's point of view and he's kind of a schmuck and like (laughs) (laughs) like I would not want to hang out with him like I never liked him even when I was like the most true blue Molly Mormon little girl on the planet who'd never done anything wrong like he bugged me I never liked that guy and he's the one telling the story and so we're going to get a very skewed idea of everything that's happening, everything that I is in the world. I wonder what we would have gotten had we gotten Layman and Lemuel's also account of See, the same account. This is if why they were, if you they, need, yeah, this is why you need to read my friend Medi Harrison's book. It's the book of Layman. She also wrote the book of Abish, which is 
excellent. Um, I haven't read the Book of Laman, but I have read the other one, and it was it was beautiful. But she tells the same stories from different characters' points of view. And I think I think okay. So for me, when the first thing that jumped out at me was the toxic masculinity in this. So much That's, toxic masculinity. <laughs> like, well, I I think specifically right here, uh, and when when Lehi is like. I'm a, I'm a visionary man. Like, mm-hmm. let me mansplain who I am to you. And, like, and, it's, and it's not as if she didn't just say, you are a visionary man. It's like, no, he's got to go back and be like, I am a visionary man. You don't understand. Like, uh, and she's like, I literally just told you that I, you were a visionary I know that. Man. I got that. I'm, a, I'm sa- Same page. Why are you? Same, like, yeah, you're you. talking to Thank God. You. I Where got are that. My you are messing my life up and putting my children in danger because you had a dream. And even visionary people... Like, you have dreams sometimes, and sometimes they're very profound and meaningful, and sometimes they're prophetic, but, like, sometimes you're just dreaming about a fish in the sea, and, like, then there was, like, a polar bear, and then there was, like, a rope. Like, dreams don't always make sense, even if you're a visionary person, and, like, he just dismisses her entire being upset about the safety of her children with, like, I'm a visionary man, you don't understand. And she's like, yeah, honey, no, I do. I I literally just called you that. (laughs) I literally just called you that. And then um, one thing that I also find very, like, masculine, but I don't know how, like, from, like, from my point of view, I see it as a very masculine kind of, like, well, boys, boys need to prove who their, who their family were. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is that thing where it's like, this is the genealogy of our family, like, this tells us who we are. And I'm like, And it's always like the sons and the fathers. And you notice all of those people are boys. And I really have a hard time believing that Nephi did not have a single sister. I mean, I mean, it's happened that there are families that have all boys, but like in the entire book of Mormon, there's how many names, females, like Mary, Sariah, Mm -hmm. Adish. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're always the ones, like, getting scolded or, like, in no, the Adish background. Is the, Adish, Adish is great. I Adish love her. Adish is great. Soraya's, she's like, my, my kids, my kids. How dare she be upset about uh, the safety of her children? Oh. Uh, That's have, just you're so. You're a mom. You're a mom. I never am upset about the safety of my children. It's not something that I worry about ever. You, you don't care about their physical, mental health? No, if they were gone from my presence on some insane mission to steal golden plates from a drunk guy that has a sword, like, I would not be upset. Really? Because I because I know my husband had a dream. Like, this is all ridiculous. Like, come on. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I think that the in the next section we're going to talk about some things that are really important to us, but I think that... The things that stood out to me, like, now that I'm looking at it from, like, the, like, I've mentioned before on the podcast about how I've read the podcast last year for a Book of Mormon challenge for my bishop who doesn't like me, and then I realized, like, why I was doing it, and I was like, this is bad. Just to spite the bishop that doesn't like you. Well, no, it's, it was to get a prize that I didn't know what it was, and then when I found out the what the prize was, I'm like, oh, it's such a bad prize. Right. Why did I work so hard for something that I don't value? And I'm like... Don't you feel like it was a little because of spite? No. Not because of that, bas- that bishop? Cause that's no, why because that's why I would No, I didn't it. know he was such a bad person until earlier this year. Uh. Like, I knew he was a bad guy, but I didn't know he was an evil villain. It's always the worst when there's, like, somebody friendly and you think they're friendly and then it turns out 
they're like from the dark side. Oh, this is the worst. My my husband can't stand him. Like, there's so many issues to unpack there. But I mean, like, I feel like she is trying to like show human emotion about her children, and Levi and her sons are like, like her husband and her sons are like, our genealogy. This is what gives us power. Like, this book is what is the foundation of our central power. Like. I, I mean, I just feel like she was incredibly reasonable, and they are just like, no, if you have emotions, that means you don't have faith. And that's not true. At all. And I don't, I don't disagree with you. But, alright, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back. And we, this is Reading the Book of Mormon with Ryan, and you've probably downloaded this lovely podcast and heard some weird commercial. But, welcome back. Um, now we're talking about if you're, if you, uh, are just jumping in with a friend who has been listening, we're doing First Nephi Chapter 5 with Carrie Spencer. So now we're going to talk about how this applies to us. Um, I think there's a lot here that's tangentially, um, applicable. there's, There's layers. There's layers that we could talk about. We could talk about how it applies as a woman, how it applies as a mother, how it applies as a queer person. We could do all of those. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Okay, so let's talk about the point of view. So we've got this story from the self-righteous dude about his mother and his dad, and he's all focused on like the genealogy and the weird thing, and the only thing we know about Sarai is that she complains. Okay. So, like, as a queer person... I resonate with her for multiple reasons. Um, because one, you complain about things because you oh. want the light, your the world to be a better place than it is, and people who are like who can help make your world a better place look at you like you're completely insane. Well, and also just the entire idea that queer people are villains, that we're like these bad people, that we're doing bad things. Like there's something ontologically wrong with being queer. Like we are not fulfilling God's promise somehow, or there's something about it that's bad. And it's this viewpoint that's told from somebody, this like cisjet guy that has no idea and has no similar life experience and thinks that his viewpoint is the only viewpoint that matters on the entire planet. And like that he has this judgment to make over Soraya, like, Oh no, you are a complainer when honestly it was reasonable and they were the ones being weird and crazy and doing something crazy. And just because it happened to work out and they happen to not die, they're like, Oh, that means it was blessed by God. Well, you know, a lot of things don't work out and a lot of times people die and it's not that simple in real life. And so I've had experiences with my family back when I used to talk to them. <laughs> where <laughs> That's something completely else to unpack. But yeah. Like, where I would bring up things about, um, how, co- how come this person gets to do this? Or how come um, this g- gets to do this? And I'd be like, isn't this unfair? And people would look at me like I was, like, asking the most unreasonable of questions. I remember one time talking to specifically my mother about how I was at BYU-Idaho at the time, and... My sister had boys in her room past the line where, like, boys aren't supposed to cross this line. And I saw it. A friend of mine who worked in the honor code office saw it. His roommate saw it. And I talked to my mom about it, and she was like, well, you're just stirring the pot now, aren't you? 
And I was just like, I mean, what? The honor code. You don't want to get me started on the honor code. But the fact that, like, okay, so we signed up to follow this dumb code. It's a dumb code. I don't disagree. It's not just dumb. I feel like it's immoral, and I taught at BYU for 15 years. You taught at BYU? I was a BYU professor from 2000. In Provo? In Provo. From 2000 to, I guess about 2014, halfway through. It's about 14 years. Ew. And so cool, I mean. It was terrible. So cool. I mean, it, mm, I have a lot of things that I could say, but I, I feel, feel like you have a lot of things that probably relate to Soraya about... Like, I feel like the honor code was immoral, and not just immoral, but it brings out evil in people, and I feel like that we cling to these ideas and these rules as if there's no exception in reality, as if it's weird for a mother to care about her children. No. No. Reality is messy, and you can't sign up, especially as a queer person, sign up for the honor code and have any idea what the ramifications are. It's an immoral document. It's a moral requirement, and it needs to go. I don't... I, I, but you're right. I think that there's, like, there's, like, logic. Like, when you're a logical response, like, Soraya's having a logical response. And I think that's the big thing that we're talking about here is Soraya's logical response about how um, I think there's two very logical responses in this whole book. I mean, not this whole book, but this chapter. One is the idea of worry and like... For well, and it's also like a very human response. Yeah. Worry. And I feel like as a queer person, you know that you have a very human response. I love a woman. Love her. And then you've got a dude that comes in that has a completely different life experience that cares so little about you as a human that's like you are a complainer and a sinner for this human emotion that you are having. Which I imagine you had many conversations like that at BYU as a professor where you'd bring up, hey, other faculty members, uh, how about we do this? And they're like, oh, woman, what do you want? It's more like they just like don't value what you have to say. Like I had this really weird experience where I was working on my PhD in Wales. And so part of the year I would be abroad in the UK. And part of the year I would be teaching at BYU. And this thing would happen, and in the beginning, I couldn't make any sense of it, where I just felt really, really, like, my IQ went down, like, 50 points. When I came back to Provo, suddenly I was, just felt really dumb all the time. And then I kept going back and forth and back and forth, and eventually I realized, no, the people around me just were not valuing a single thing that I had to say when I was in Provo. So, kind of like how Soraya mm-hmm. is, like, talking to Lehi right here, how they're just not exactly like, her view was just not valued. Like, oh, you're a woman. You're having an emotion. No, we are toxic men, and we don't have emotions, and we have dreams, and we tell you the thing that you just told us as if we invented it and expect you to just fall into line because things worked out and nobody died. Hallelujah. And then the second logical response to me in this chapter is the idea of a family rejoicing. Mm-hmm. So, like, so I was, so for another chapter that I did with somebody else, I looked into, like, what does sacrifice mean, and what does this, and, like, how does this happen? And, like, I kind of remember from seminary and some of my classes at BYU and BYU-Idaho, like, this is what this means, this is what this means. But no one ever talks about, like, and you offer a burnt offering, but no one talks about, like, a burnt offering meant that they were basically, they're not burning the flesh to, like, beyond, like, charcoal. What it was is they were cooking it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then you eat it. Eat it. And no one really 
talked about that. Like I, my fiance empathizes with that a lot. She finds food to be very holy. I do too. I love food. I got I gained like forty pounds when I got married. I gained like forty pounds after Heather moved in with me and started cooking all of the time, and it was sad. But there we are. Well, life goes on. Yeah. Um, food is delicious. It is. And it, but the thing is, to me, those are the two super logical things here. And then it's like, one is when there's something that's, like, to me that I can relate to a lot is when there's something stressful, I'm going to worry about it. And right. I think Soraya It's not that. unreasonable. No. I don't think it's, it's running off doing something crazy. What, and I, th- I wonder what her response was that they don't explain here is, hey, I'm worried. I'm a man. I'm a visionary man. And you're like, no, I get that. I get that. I get that. Literally just told you. Thank you. But what is her next step of like reaction to that now? It's like, that doesn't give me comfort. Yes. That doesn't give me solace. That doesn't give me peace. That doesn't give me warm fuzzies. That doesn't My children re- could still die, and then you're going to be like, it was a part of God's plan. That does not help me feel better. No, that does not put my children's arms around me. That does not mm-hmm. get them to tell me that they love me. That even doesn't, that doesn't even get them to tell me that they're pissed off at me because I washed their robes wrong. Like, it doesn't give me inter- in any more interaction with them, the possibility of good or bad. And it's like, you've, you've sent them away, and now you're relying on God. And she worries about her children so much where... I think that it's a good thing is that her relationship with God is important to her, but her relationship to her children is everything. Mm -hmm. Beyond her religion, beyond her faith, it is her children. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think so either, and I don't think we talk about that enough. I think that, like, you... It doesn't make sense to to say God has to be more important than every single human. Because what is that God? What is that God that doesn't care about every single human? That's not a God I really care about. My God is the Jesus God. That's like I am in every single human. My love for my children is my love for God. Like That makes sense. Because like as we find love for one another, I feel like we find more love for God. Like, if that makes sense. Am I crazy? Um... Am I crazy? And if you don't, then that's like a really crappy God. I don't want that God. Like, I mean, no, like, thank you. I don't have time for that. Like, I am you don't out of the Mormon f- church. You don't have to tell me what God is like. I can experience God for myself now. And no. Oh, so you want a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father? In fact, I don't even a Heavenly Father. That is very limiting. Oh, heavenly family, or heavenly? How do you, how do you how do you like to? I mean, I don't. I don't put limits on it because oh, I have found that's interesting. Even limiting it to say father, mother, all of those things are limiting, and God is not limited. My experience of God is not limited to these strange, weirdly narrow ideas anymore. And that was the thing that surprised me the most when I left Mormonism, is that I've been raised with a very narrow kind of view of what who God was, the Heavenly Father, and this is what He wants, and this is what He expects of you. And when I left the Mormon faith, I kind of expected not to have a God, but instead I have a more expansive God. And my experience of God is different. And it doesn't have to be a father. It doesn't have to be a mother. God doesn't even have to be human. God can be all manner of different things to me. But the thing that always matters the most is love to me. 
if you're not a God that loves, if you're not a God that love is the most important part of existing, then that's not a God I'm interested in. I, I mean, I think that for me, I can't speak for anyone else other than myself, is that, like, like I said, like, I think when I feel love for other people, I, like, I, my husband makes fun of me because I say I love everyone. And he's like, it, it's meaningless. And for me, I'm like, no, it's not meaningless. Because if I put love out into the world, I can, I know that there's love in the world because I've put it at least out there. Mm. And so for me, like this idea of like a heavenly father that loves us, or that's what I like to call him. I hope it wasn't patronizing that I said like, oh, that's interesting. When you said like, you don't want to put limits on him. But that's how I like to refer to Because like, I don't know. Anyway, but... I, I think like because I put love on the world and then I'm able to feel that love as well, if that makes sense. Um, and I love saying if that makes sense, because I feel like sometimes like when you say things like and people don't understand you. And I think I can relate to Soraya right now a lot with that because it's like, but I don't think you're behind in that way. You're going to be like, does that make sense? And I'll be like, what are you talking about? I just said that to you. <laughs> Thank you for taking my ideas. <laughs> Lehigh. But I feel like I know Lehigh. I feel like I've known so many Lehigh's. Haven't I we? feel like I had so many of them as seminary teachers. My bishop's a Lehigh. Oh, was he? Oh, my current bishop. Oh, is that good or bad? Bad. Bad. Okay. Bad. If we're using it in this context of him use being a toxic masculinity, like of I'm going to steal your words as my own and use them. Against and then you. this dream that I had above everything else, never mind that even yes. the most visionary people have random crazy dreams sometimes. Like, that's very self-centered of you, Lehigh. Have you ever read, uh, oh damn, I was at Utah State and I had to read for an art class some of the, an interview someone had with Albert Einstein and he talked about his dreams and they were just bonkers. Like, mm. they made... If you want to talk about toxic men, Einstein... Oh, he was super toxic, but also, like, brilliant, but you were... Brilliant, just but you like, would steal all his wife's work, and then be like, it's my work, and that way he was very much a Lehigh, too. His mm -hmm. wife would say things, you know. But the thing is, like, his dreams were bonkers. I mean, I have bonker dreams. Oh, I had one the other night that I just was like, what the hell does this even mean? Mm. I was like, why am I dreaming about this? Usually my dreams are rather funny and mildly erotic, but this one was just like, I was like, am I watching a Salvador Dali painting come to life in my brain? Sometimes I have these dreams that are like, they seem very, very profound, and then I try to write them down or something, and they just sound kind of crazy. But like, you still feel the profundity of it, even after it's written down, and you're like, huh. Huh. Can't make sense of that. Yeah, the last profound, quote unquote, air quotes I'm making, you can't see. Um, I love how podcast is such a visual medium. It is visual that way. But... The last, like, profound dream I had it had a polar bear in it. <gasps> I love polar bears. Yeah, yeah, and it had ropes that you could smell. They were smell ropes. Like, they weren't made of... They the were ropes ma were the, made of smells? The ropes were made of smells, yeah. And they were also, like, golden, and they sang. They were singing ropes of smells. And polar bears. And polar bears. And it felt very profound. And then I woke up and I wrote it down, and I'm like, what do I even do with that? I don't even know. What to you watch that. the Golden Compass with Lin Manuel Miranda on HBO. It must have been the commercial I saw for it, or something. But it turned into a very profound dream about smelling ropes that were made of smell and singing. Um, and they led you to the polar bears. The polar bears were the ones singing, oh. and it turned into a rope. 
and the rope, you followed the rope and it got you around these icebergs, but it was this rope of song and smell. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no real, I don't, I can't think of it. I can't. I know. It's just what, crazy. What, but like. What are you, what are you going to do with that? I don't know. It's like. I'm going to tell Soraya that, you know, I'm a visionary it, woman and you're gonna she put it, needs to stop complaining is what I'm going to do. And you're going to put it in a book of brass yeah. plates so that you can pass it down from daughter to daughter to daughter to daughter. Right. 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 Yeah. That's my plan. Um, that, I, I just never understood the. never understood like to me a lot of what this to me is hard applicable stuff where it's talking about like the like I can't I don't I don't relate to this at all outside of the joy and happiness like Mm -hmm. if you think about like when I think about for example where they're making a sacrifice when they're the Mm -hmm. kids have come home like rejoice and sacrifice to me that's a barbecue Mm -hmm. I think that's what I think in my mind and I think of the joy and the happiness and when my husband and I have barbecues. It's usually to celebrate something. And I, I don't... And, like, we usually have either family coming over or friends or it's a celebration of life. You know what I mean? Like, and I really enjoy that. Like, I can relate to that. Like, I can relate to that joy and that happiness. But when it comes to talking about, like, and the genealogy of his father's whereabouts, and I just want to be like this is so important and the Egyptians and like the scriptures. And I just want to be like, well, how important are we making those things now? And like, how is that applicable to us now? And how do we like do these things when there's things like inequality in the world? And how do we do these things with people being murdered for who they are? And how do we do these things with third world countries not having enough to eat? And how do we worry about like, like what are the things that Christ would be pushing now? And I just think like to, for me, I have no like half of this chapter. I'm like, I have a hard time relating to the complaining part. No, that I get, girl. I'm with yeah. you on the complaining. Like, what's the, the part? complaining it's this... where it's like uh, yeah, and the prophecies, and we got the genealogy, and the it's a record of this, and it's a record of that, and it's a yeah. Blah. That just and, seems like a weird thing to celebrate and. Well, it's, they celebrate that they're back. Right. And then they go after the celebration to look at the record. Then Lehi verifies the record where it sounds like he's just checking an invoice of like, yeah, it's got this and it's got this and it's got this. And I mean, like outside of that, I'm like, I too check invoices when I buy things from online and make sure everything's in the package. Yeah. But outside of that, I'm like, I, I got nothing for you. What is, what you've. What does this even mean? Like, Nephi, it's a weird flex, dude. I'm glad, <sighs> glad that you got that whole Zedidiah thing going on. I but. know. But it's weird. Like, the, the, the complaining, I think, has so many applicable things to mm. talk about. Because the way rape victims complain. Gays mm-hmm. complain, women complain, blacks complain, Hispanics complain, Asians complain, all of us complain, white men complain, like children complain. When we all complain, we all complain, and there's almost always someone who's like, Why? What's the big deal? And in that moment, just I'm causing always, a ruckus. Yeah, you're making it hard on everyone else. Yeah. Just, so, yeah. So, um, one of my siblings, so I don't talk to my family anymore, except one sister. Mm. And 
another one of my sisters and I were talking before I cut ties with her as well. Um, and she's like, mom told us all that all of your complaining made it really hard to love you. Oh. And what I was complaining about is I wanted to be treated like everybody else in my family mm. because I was, um, because I'm gay. And I have a sister that's a lesbian, but she doesn't get treated that well. And I've tried bringing it up to her and she gets very defensive. And so I'm like, okay, from an outsider looking in on your relationship with these people, it's toxic or it looks toxic to me. So I'm not going to talk to you about it because I feel you feel attacked. And that's not what my point in life is, is to attack people. But I just love the how, like, as I've learned about, like, toxicity and toxic relationships and separating people because no matter if we're married or you know, blood related. Like if it's toxic, it's toxic and you need to separate the toxicity from your life. But I love how my complaint, my, my air quotes complaining was me just asking to be treated equal. And that made me hard to love. Mm. And like that someone would go and tell the rest of our family that it's okay to treat someone bad because they've made it hard to love. Mm. So victim blaming is always fun. Oh, it's true. Well, in the next section, we're going to talk about how this applies to the LGBT community. Mm. So we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to reading the Book of Mormon with Ryan. Uh, we are here today with Carrie Spencer, Dr. Carrie Spencer, as we learned in the last section, girl got a doctorate. I did that once. <laughs> Just once. Once? Not going to do it again? I don't know, I might. Okay, you did the doctorate once, but you did kids twice. I know, right? <laughs> one, one sounds easier than the other. Uh, it was definitely the doctorate. So, all righty, Miss Spencer. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about how this relates to the LGBTQAI community. And I feel very strongly about correlating our last section into this section. Because all I can think of is people like Harvey Milk and Martin Luther King and um, the woman on the Silver Dollar, not the not the Native American. Susan B. Anthony? Yeah, her. Thank you. I'm just like, her name escaped me. My dad used to give us the Susan B. Anthony dollars and he thought they were so funny because they looked like quarters almost. Mm. But um, That's a metaphor. What? Because women, and we're on this coin, and it's worth a whole lot more than a quarter, but everyone's like, oh, it's a quarter. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that. But it's like all of these people complained, and so many people at their time were like, these people are nutballs. Like, these people are insane. They're asking for things that are never going to be possible. And there's a huge thing going on in this chapter that applies to the LGBT community about power. Because we've got this patriarchal structure that says that this is the way that things are done. Lehi is the patriarch. We are going into the wilderness because he had a dream and his dreams are more valuable than my physical safety as a woman, than the physical safety of my children. This is about power. And the story that, that Nephi is telling, from his viewpoint, he's somebody who is not oppressed in this patriarchal structure. He is 
a man and he's a man that has power and he is speaking from a place of privilege all of the time and so reasonable concerns are dismissed as being complaining and it doesn't ever occur to him that this is a problem not even a little he's just like this is how we do this this is god's way i i think of that a lot of like for me like when i was at byu and byu idaho and utah state and when i was even with my own family there are so many people that would just uh, for a lack of a better word, like toe, toe the line. They would just toe the line, like, this is the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And, like, even in my own ward where I am now in Harlem, I've heard people, like, well, let's talk about these things. And, like, no, we don't talk about these things. And it's like, well, why not? Why don't we talk about these things? Um, luckily, I am lucky enough to be unemployed occasionally. And my husband goes to work and I'll, I have nothing to do. And where we live is just off Central Park. And um, all of these, I should say single parent, not single parents, like the stay-at-home parents, like the moms and dads who are stay-at-home parents from my ward and other wards will get together with their kids and um, we'll have these talks about conversations about masturbation and chastity and we'll talk about pornography and we'll talk That's about... creepy at all. Huh? That's not a creepy conversation to have at all with children. Well, I mean, like we're not having that with children. They're watching. We're at the we're at the playground, and like, oh, all the parents okay. are to the side. And it's like, well, here's all the parents discussing these hard issues that they will not address at church. But here they are, at least a no. Like, it, what makes me feel amazing is knowing that these people are like most of the people that I respect. Or here they are, like, openly trying to figure it out. Like, most of them are like, mm, the church has an idea, but I don't like that. Like, they all almost all have, like, mm, tweaks. Or, and I just wonder if, like, do they have shame about, like, if someone finds out that I'm against this? Like, I wonder about that, too. I think there's absolutely that thing, because you're never going to have somebody there that's, like, full stop no this is not something they should care about and mm-hmm. i feel like as a post-mormon that's something i can do because i could be like full stop no nobody yeah, should be talking there's about a few it. there's a few people but i also know that there's some people that are in the process of either leaving our ward or leaving the church mm-hmm. or that are i think more full stop no's as mm-hmm. well as i say think about that and like oh no but i mean like here they are i think that the Sarayas, I guess you would say, I think that they're starting to be like, mm, Lehigh doesn't things. maybe know everything. So. There's a difference between you being right and you having power. And the power of the patriarchy gave Lehigh the ability to say, I am right. And that happens in the Mormon church all of the time, too. And the people that are in power say, I am right. And they're people. They get things wrong all of the time. They're not, nobody's perfect. There's no such thing, and there's that weird mix-up between who's in power and who is right, and I feel like that applies to the LGBT community profoundly, because we have all had spiritual experiences, we all know where we stand with our own version of God, we've all prayed, we've all done these things, and the people in power, wait, say we're wrong. Are you saying? you've experienced a personal connection with a higher power on your own without checking the boxes? I have. 
as a gay woman, as somebody who is doing things that the church finds to be the worst kind of apostasy, I have experienced holiness. I 100% agree with you. I, I think of, I think the, that as LGBT people, I mean, like, I think that we are, I don't think Soraya's wrong here. I think she's having a very normal reaction, and I think a lot of LGBT people aren't wrong. I think they're having they're a They're just normal... not in power. Yeah. And they're, they're just like... not in power, and that doesn't make them wrong, and that doesn't make the people in power right. It does also, it doesn't make them right, but it also, it shows a lack of empathy and a lack of concern for, like, I feel like the way he, like, mansplains to her is, like, the people who are in power never get told to have empathy. The only people who ever get told to have empathy are the victims and the people not in power, the marginalized. So I had a very interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago about Elder Oaks, my least favorite general authority. Uh, I'm making a face. You yes. can't see it. Um, but how I believe he is a human man who is... He's going to die on the gay hill. Like, that's going to be his martyr. He's going to pretend to be a martyr. And then, doesn't matter if the church goes down with him. He's going to die on that hill. He is going to die on that hill. And uh, I was talking to somebody about how, like, it's up to us to have our individual relationships with God. And to me, my relationship with God is like, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. I mean, as long as he's in power, it's not going to be a safe place for queer people. And the only thing you can do to help them is get them out. Well, I think also another thing is by empowering them to stand up for themselves and be like, if you're going to go to church, make sure you understand that you're a person of value and that you don't deserve to be treated like the way Elder Oaks wants you to be treated. And that's not appropriate. And it's not your job to fix the church. I feel like too many queer people are like, I need to go to church to fix it, to help it, to be a voice. How are they ever going to change without me? No. I I kind of feel that way, but at the same time, like, there's kind of this niceness to me. I was talking to to Steve earlier about uh, this, about how, like, I feel like I go to the reward. I'm like, who else would be doing this? But at the same time, there's a part of me that goes, um, for I go because I want to go because there's a there's a part of me trying to connect with a higher power because I left the church for a period of about six seven years and I was super inactive and I was I, but like I felt like something was missing and I, and I go for myself because I need the relationship with my higher power that and that's how I have found it and now that I'm here I also feel like okay I have no problem fighting you because I have found myself and like I'm here for myself but while I'm here I can also do this thing other thing too but I would say find yourself first and I think Soraya is just a normal person who she has found herself she knows who she is and now she's also worried about those she's in charge of maybe anyway that's my crazy thoughts awesome awesome and I love the idea of a barbecue or a parade to, to celebrate. I mean, we should all have joy. I think so too. I also was so this year was World Pride in New York City, 
Um, it's 2020, so if you're listening to this in the future. Um, so my friend Dustin and I both listened to this amazing podcast called uh, Making Gay History. And I totally recommend it to anyone who wants to know about like the history of the civil rights, the gay rights movement and what, how it happened around the world and different things and um, in this modernist era because looking through history at different times, gays have been okay at different times in different parts of the world. So that's also interesting to me. Um, but... Um, but, like, the sacrifice that the community has had and then, like, the rejoicing that's happening. And I think that as, like, as an LGBT community, I think that if we look at the way that, like, Soraya and Lehi and Nephi and Laban and Lemuel all rejoice when they're together, I think that's what pride is. And I think that it's, like, memor like thinking about the sacrifices that have happened and what's what's happened and like how are we moving forward with this yeah all right all right do you have any other thoughts on this lovely chapter i think i've said most of them all right well now let's say where are we again are we we're in maryland we're in maryland mm-hmm. so miss Spen- dr S- dr spencer if one of our listeners here wanted to get in contact with you, would you would like to be contacted or not? They can contact me on Twitter. My handle is at Swilua. It's S-W-I-L-U-A. It is a joke that goes back to when I was a BYU professor and they kept calling me Sister Spencer and they weren't supposed to call me Sister Spencer because we weren't at church. And so one time I said, you can call me Professor Spencer or you can call me she who's likened to Aphrodite. I don't care. And they did. And after a while, I had to shorten it to just Swalua because they took me seriously. But it was a joke. I had put it in the syllabus kind of as a joke. And they're like, no, that's what your name is now. So that is amazing. (laughs) I never knew that. I've known you for... Almost two years. Now you know where my Twitter handle comes from. Yes. I was like, this is a funny word. And you're like, what is that? That is I, I was like, okay, I'm sure. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, like, I've seen other things that are, like, just vulgar and, like, uh, I follow some very interesting Twitter accounts. But, um. Twitter is a fascinating place. I like to refer to social media as people screaming as loud as they can into a void. So that's what Twitter started out as for me. And I just was like, oh, this is great. I just scream and scream in the void. And then, you know, the weirdest thing that happened is it started talking back. (gasps) And I was like, what's happening? Anyway, I love Twitter. Contact me on Twitter. I use Twitter to watch memes and funny, like, gifs of, like, Kids giving their parents side eye, like side eye Chloe, mm. or the dancing kid, or Chewbacca mom, or Miranda sings. Like snippets of those things just give me so much joy. Mm. And I also follow a lot of thirst traps. Oh well, I mean, it I'm, wouldn't be a gay Twitter account without thirst traps. Oh, thank you, thank you for understanding that. And everyone got that. At, you are at Twitter at Swilla. Swilua. So, 
She who You'll put a little link on the thing, probably. Oh, I'll do it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, It'll be in the show notes. She who is like unto Aphrodite, so it's S-W-I-L-U-A at Swalua. And I follow you. I think I follow you on both of my accounts. That's good. How many followers do you have? Uh, let me check. I have... It changes a lot because it depends on how many bots are following me when... Because there's a lot of bots. Oh. Yeah. Fake people? Like you know, Russian robots and things. Right now I have 6,231 followers on Twitter. How many followers do you need to have to get the blue check mark? So the blue check mark is more about uh, being a verified person that people need to know who you are. So, like, for journalists, people need to know who a real journalist is versus a fake journalist. And so a journalist can have, like, 500 followers and still get a, a check mark. So it's not about the number of followers you have. And there's people with millions of followers who don't have a check mark because they have a, you know, they have an alt account, a fake account. They don't have the real name. They don't have the real face. They don't have a reason that people need them to be real. So, huh. So never, like, yeah, I never do that. I just follow Twitter and I follow thrift straps and memes and, and mm. listen to people. And like, that's why I follow other people's podcasts as well. Mm. But anyway, all right. Thank you, Dr. Spencer. And Thank if you, you for coming to my kitchen and talking to me. It has been lovely. And the sun has been setting over these lovely mountains and things. And mm-hmm. been watching that. And then I live somewhere very pretty, don't it's I? It's true. Like, the, you live on top of a hill. I do. It's fantastic. I mean, Twitter always jokes that I live in a bog, which is a different joke. But really, I live on top of a hill. It's truly lovely. And like... Um, your ex was showing me around mm-hmm. before we came in and it's just the most lovely view and my inappropriate mind was just thinking of all the inappropriate things if I would have moved into this house like that I would have done mm. so I believe it oh you should see the pillows that we have on our sofa they're <laughs> so funny anyway if you're wanting to help be with the podcast at all or be a part of the podcast please contest at pioneerproject82 at gmail.com again Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe.